Yeah, this is Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Oh, it's so great to be with you all. As Bree said, my name is Drew. And in 2021, January, my wife and I moved out to San Diego with our six little kids. And yeah, crazy, right? I know. The father figure is in full effect. Six kids. This is what happens. Gray hair and you grow. Um, I'm just kidding. But we came out here to be embedded church planters with the specific intention of planting a church three to five years from my start date. And along the way, a little bit of history, in 2019, so going back a bit, um, my wife and I really had a heart, like a stirring in our hearts to be in England. And it didn't happen in 2019, um, but it's becoming a reality this fall, which is wild. So we are moving to Portsmouth, England, which is all the way on the south coast, this beautiful island, where I will be pastoring at a church called King's Church. An amazing staff, so excited um, to be a part of what they're doing. And we'll be there for at least the next year, hopefully a bit more, um, until we step out to plant a church of our own. So we are seeking the, the voice of the Spirit in our lives to see where it is that we are supposed to plant a church. So we will be moving out probably August, September. Um, we are waiting on some visa things, but that's our next step. But during the, the process of moving, it's been pretty wild. We, we moved out of San Diego, so we're staying in the town that we moved from. It's called Yucaipa, two hours away. Very hot right now. There are currently 12 people living in my parents' three-bedroom house. Pray for us. It's so good to be with them, to spend quality time before we go. Um, but as we were packing some of our things, see, we've gotten rid of a majority of our stuff, donating it and selling and all of these things. But as we were going through some of the stuff, I found this box containing some really special memories and, and objects and things. And, and so we were going through it and I found this bag, which was my grandma's coin collection that she had been collecting throughout her life. She died when I was five years old um, and I was very close to her. So anytime I find anything of hers, I'm just like, oh, this is super meaningful to me. And so Laura and I, my wife, we spent an evening just looking at these coins and looking them up online and reading his history of them and stuff. So a few days later, I'm like, I'm going to reach out to like a coin collector here in San Diego just to see what they're worth. I had no intention of selling it, but I'm just curious. Like, what are we sitting on a gold mine? Like, what is this, you know? So they got back to me after a few days and I'm like, ooh, this email, we're about to see if we're like secretly millionaires or something, you know? Um, they get back to me and they're like, they're not worth anything. There's one that might be worth $9, but <laughs> aside from that, it's really just faith's value. It was a little disheartening, but I got through it. This is a new beanie and it just keeps falling off my head. So I'm sorry. Sorry you have to see that. But in that process, I was reminded of this text that we are reading today impactful, not just because they both pertain to coins, but because of the deeper meaning of identity and belonging. 
And so this is what we're, we're talking about today. We're in this series called Shema, Hearing the Voice of God. And I believe that the Spirit has something to minister to our hearts from this text today. But before we get into that, I, I'm going to share a bit of my story with you guys. Is that okay? Yeah? Sure? Buckle up. There's some not lovely things in it. I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Uh, this is pretty vulnerable, but I believe that somehow, some way, the goodness of God is going to continue to transcend some of the painful things I've experienced to impart something to you today. So I'm going to ask that even as I share these things, that you tune your heart and ears to listen through the lens of victory. It's very important that you understand from me that I'm not sharing this to you today from a, a victim mentality. I don't want you to hear it and think like, oh, he's a victim and hear that God was somehow absent in my story, but that you hear that I'm a son and that he was more present than I care to acknowledge through all of it. All right? You agree? You down? Okay. So four years old, I walked out of my bedroom and told my parents, I'm going to be a pastor when I grow up. God just told me. They're like, that's awesome. My parents were Christians, beautiful people. They weren't necessarily like swinging from the chandelier, like Pentecostal, God told me this or that people, right? So I wasn't hearing the language of like, God told me this and spoke this to my heart. I just walked out of my bedroom and like as clear as day, I just felt God tell me, you're going to be a pastor when you grow up. Within a few months of that, literally within months, we were eating dinner at a children's pastor's house, the children's pastor of our church. We went over there for dinner with one other family, had a great meal, great time of fellowship. And during that time, um, the, the pastor's son, he's 13, I was four, he just kept talking about this game that he wanted to show me. And once that other family had left, I went upstairs to see this game he was talking about. And for the first time, I experienced sexual abuse at the home of a pastor, at a safe place, right? Or at least it should have been. And that was a pretty wild experience, keeping it secret because he threatened to kill my dad, who was my hero. And at four years old, I, I just couldn't make sense of that. So I didn't tell anybody until there started to be stories that were coming through of other kids who had experienced this at that home. So my parents asked me about it one day. Did anything happen that night? And I, I shared with them at that point. Um, but to make matters worse, the lead pastor of that church somehow saw fit to put some of the blame on me as a four-year-old boy. So he said that I should not have engaged in it. So for the first time at four years old, there were three lies that began to take root in my heart. They were lies sourced in voices that were not from God. So these are lies. My life is marked by a level of shame that I can't do anything to erase or fix. Second, churches and their leadership are not safe for me. And third, I am not worth defending or protecting. So we fast forward to junior high age. My family was at a mega church in Orange County. I was 12 years old, a very timid kid who had a crush on a 12-year-old girl. Pretty harmless, normal, right? Well, the senior pastor of that huge church began to make my life pretty miserable. He started to threaten me on multiple occasions. The first, when he took me out to his Jeep to show me his automatic weapons. The second, when he took me into his office to show me his knives and a sword. And then, on multiple occasions, grabbing my arms, shaking me, even leaving bruises on me, all the while telling me to stay away from this girl and how abnormal it was that I would be attracted to her. From there, the youth pastor at that church began to get phone calls. I didn't know this until after the fact, but he would get phone calls, um, the pastor telling him creative ways to call me out in front of the youth group to make life really hard for me. 
until eventually I was just out of the youth group. I couldn't be at church anymore. So at one of the most volatile times in my life, all the lies that I started to believe when I was four years old were exacerbated in my teens. There were voices compiling, creating such a steady noise that I forgot what it was like to hear affirmation from the voice of my heavenly father. But at that time, when I left that church, I, I was reminded of this and looking through the notes as I was driving out this morning, I was feeling like, oh, this is pretty glum, you know? And God continued to show me actually the way that he reiterated his heart for me through faithful people. So we left that church. My parents started going to another church in Orange County. There was a pastor there. His name is Dave Rolfe, one of my dear friends to this day. And I just felt this overwhelming sense, like I need to talk to this guy. I hadn't shared with anyone what I was experiencing at that church. So I met up with this pastor and for the first time ever, felt like there was a godly man leading a church who would actually listen to me and believe me and defend me. And through a wild turn of events, the pastor who was abusing his authority uh, at that mega church ended up losing his church. And I share this only to tell you as I was talking to Aaliyah in the back, it's important for us to know that God is a God of justice, right? I don't celebrate the fact that there are pastors falling, but it is important for us to know that people don't always just get away with hurting people in this way, right? So fast forward again, uh, 16 years old, I moved with my family to Yukaipa, where we are now, and eventually I started serving at a church out there and became a pastor for nearly 10 years where I experienced some of the most beautiful times in ministry um, and also some really heartbreaking things. And to be honest with you, by the time that I was talking to Evan and Sandy about us coming out to Park Hill in 2020, I was reaching a level of burnout. I was reaching a level of questioning, am I supposed to be a pastor in a church? Is this what I'm called to? Is this what our family is supposed to do? I thought maybe I'll get my barber's license and just start a Bible study somewhere outside of the church because I was frustrated with some of the, you know, the businessy things of church that can often leave people behind. I was frustrated with the hurt that I had experienced and that I had seen people experiencing. And I was starting to lose hope on the church. Well, Evan and Sandy were incredibly kind and gracious and patient. I actually said no the first time in summer of 2020 when they invited us to come out. And then in the fall, they called back and it was this like miraculous thing that God had been stirring in our hearts again. No, we're supposed to plant a church. We're supposed to go out. So to be honest, at that moment, we had faith to say yes to come to San Diego, but we didn't have faith to plant a church, even though that was the title, because we knew that we had a lot of healing to do. And the staff here at Park Hill was so patient with us throughout that process, throughout brokenness and um, even moments of extreme depression and questioning identity and all of these things, they, they were patient with us. So we come out in 2021 and really honestly, the past two and a half years have been some of the most healing and unifying years in our marriage, in the life of our family. And so much of that has to do with the community here at Park Hill. That again, as God has reiterated his heart for me, for our family, that it's happened through faithful people who are willing to show the heart of God. So thank you, Park Hill. Thank you, community. Can we clap for community while I fix my beanie? <clears throat> okay, so that's plenty about me. You know a lot of things, right? But the reason why I'm sharing this is because in this text about hearing the voice of God, it is so important that we recognize that it's not only God's voice that we hear, but there are loads of other voices, 
vying for our attention to dissuade us from following the way of God, from following our our true identities and purpose as children of God. And so we need to learn how to identify the lies from the truth. And we do that by becoming more and more well acquainted with the truth of God, with the voice of God, with the presence of God, so that we know when lies creep in, this is not what's best for me. This is not going to lead to my flourishing, but this is a distraction from the enemy to try to rip me off. Like literally, I shared with you, four years old, God told me I'm gonna be a pastor. Four years old, sexual abuse in a pastor's home. That was the moment that I thought, leaders are not safe, church is not safe. So how does that happen that God speaks this to my heart and then the very place that he calls me to is not safe anymore? It happens because the devil does not want to see us live into God's flourishing heart for us as children of God. He hates it because the more that it happens, the more that the goodness of God spreads throughout the earth, right? He hates it when we hear God's voice and we're obedient to it, which is really the heart of Shema, hearing the voice of God, learning the voice of God. If you're taking notes, I would even title this teaching, Knowing His Voice. How do we know the voice of the shepherd among so many other voices? So we're going to get back into our text in Mark chapter 12. And this coincides with my story because we're talking about church leadership here. We're talking specifically about the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish church in Jesus' time. We're talking about what happens when leaders start to crave glory from man and power instead of obedience to their gracious and compassionate God. So to set up the text, we'll talk about Pharisees a bit, right? Good guys or bad guys? Trick question. Yeah, there there were some good Pharisees. There were some crooked Pharisees. But they wanted to be known as the religious leaders who were radically in love with the law of God, who followed each and every one of those rules. But see, here's the kicker. Here's what we miss sometimes. The rules that they were trying to follow actually had profound purpose. They had purpose because the Pharisees knew that obedience to God was synonymous with deliverance. See, we have to remember the culture that Jesus is living into in this moment. The cultural setting is that Israel is governed by the Roman Empire, oppressing all the Jewish people. And if you know about Israel's history, you know that they were in captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. They were freed from Egypt. Then they were disobedient again, so they're in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years because they were disobedient to God. If you remember back to God giving Moses the the law, giving the commandments, and then Moses conveying it to the people, there's a story or, or a passage in Deuteronomy 28 verse 25 where it says, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all kingdoms on earth. He's saying, if you are obedient to me, you're gonna experience all these blessings. But if you break these rules, if you breach this contract, then you are going to be given into the hand of your enemies. The law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai was like a binding marital contract. It was from a heart of love that Yahweh says, here are the terms by which you can access me freely. Here are the terms by which you can experience blessing and flourishing that I've called you to since the beginning. Here's how you can how you can experience the fruit of even your freeing from the land of Egypt. All of these things, all of these blessings, I want you to have them. But here's the thing. If you break this contract, you're giving into the curse again. If you break this contract, you're saying, I choose Egypt over Eden. So they're disobedient. 
They experience captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And so the Pharisees are thinking back on this. They're thinking back on, on the, the, the pattern of exile and freedom. They're thinking back on the pattern of obedience, presence of God, disobedience, exile. And here they are under the thumb of the Roman Empire experiencing oppression, thinking if we follow these rules and get others to do it, maybe we will be freed from it. And especially once Messiah comes, he's going to free us from our oppressors. So they're not all bad, right? Not all bad motives. They're, they're actually having not only their own benefit in mind, but really probably the, the benefit of the, the land of Israel. Give it back to God. Give it back to the people. Remove power from Rome. <clears throat> so this is the setting that we're jumping into. But they see Jesus come into the picture Jesus of Nazareth, this man who's doing miraculous things that resemble the heart of Yahweh. He's drawing crowds. He's speaking to the masses. They're following him. Even when he says radical and wild things like you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, they're still following him. And the Pharisees are like, he is messing with our plan. He's messing with our plan because people are not following the, the law more rigidly, they're actually experiencing some freedom from it. So that's going to lead to more oppression. So Jesus is just in this constant cycle with these religious leaders where they're trying to trap him. Let's find something incriminating so that we can get him out of the picture. So they come up with this brilliant scheme here in Mark 12. Let's read again verse 13. It says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. So before this in this chapter, again, it's just constant questioning. Let's catch him. Let's do whatever we can to, to get him saying something or doing something that does not look like God. So the, the teachers and the, the chief priests of that time, there were the heads of the church. They sent a group of Pharisees and people who were super loyal to King Herod, who was the, the Jewish king of that area. They sent them to try to catch him. And these were people, these leaders, unfortunately, that were swayed by the voice of the enemy instead of driven by the voice of God. They were sent on this mission to catch Jesus in his words. I think that's so fascinating. Think about it for a moment. The literal incarnate word of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who is exactly what God had to say to the world, and they're trying to catch him saying something stupid. How wild, right? These people who literally taught the Bible, had a platform of leadership, they knew the Old Testament almost better than anyone else, they missed the fact that the Messiah was right in front of them, that he was Emmanuel, God with them. This should be a sobering reality for all of us, not just people in ministry, not people leading churches, but people who follow Jesus. It doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, for one week or 70 years, if we go through the motions of being a Christian without a true desire to hear his voice regularly, we're in danger of falling into the same trap as those who opposed Jesus. It's for anyone. We can point the finger at the Pharisees and be like, oh, they were religious. They did this and that, especially after experiencing trauma in the, the church. It's easy to be like, oh, they are just like the people that, that have harmed me or whatever. But really, each of our hearts can succumb to this sort of temptation when we listen to voices that are not from the Spirit. These Religious leaders, they were operating from a place of fear, fear of punishment from God. But the reality is if they knew him better, if they knew his character better, if they heard his voice more frequently, they would have had a great desire to please him because he's a, a compassionate and gracious God who's slow to anger. That's who God says he is. In verse 14, it says, then they came to him and said, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. 
You're not swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. So in other words, you show no partiality, right? You're, you're doing this the right way. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So here's the question. Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. This trap that they're attempting to set for Jesus goes so much deeper than the issue of should we pay taxes or shouldn't we? So much more than just follow the laws of the Lamb. It was actually a massive political question. See, Jesus was a Galilean. This is happening in the region of Judea. Chances are, many scholars believe, Jesus would not have even had to pay this tax because it was not the region that he lived in. So the Pharisees are asking him as an outsider, come into the middle of our dispute and tell us who's right, us or them. The New Testament scholar R.T. France says, the trap is generally understood to consist of the impossibility of answering the question to everyone's satisfaction. Yes, would alienate the Jewish patriots who would see it as pro-Roman. And the answer no would provide a basis for denouncing Jesus to the provincial authorities as a rebel. So like if he says yes, the Jewish folks will stop following him because they'll see him as advocating for Rome. But if he says no, then we can, we can get him. Like then this is actually, like he's telling us to break the law so we can get him arrested now. It's brilliant, they think, right? This is the perfect situation. But Jesus, his response is astounding. Look again at verse 16. It says, they brought the coin to him and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So many of the Jewish people at that time, they would refuse to carry a coin with Caesar's face on it because to them it was a graven image and pagan idolatry. It was breaking one of the Ten Commandments. But they bring him this coin and he goes straight to this big question. He's like meeting them at the like politician thing. Let me answer that by asking you this, right? Whose image is this and whose inscription? See, when Jesus said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's, he's making a clarifying point about images. This actually echoes back to a story in Exodus chapter 32 where Moses is up on Mount Sinai with Yahweh. And while he's up there for 40 days, his brother Aaron is supposed to be pastoring the people who were just brought out of Egypt, but they're getting antsy. They're like, it's been 40 days, y'all. There's no way he's alive. He's definitely dead. So like, let's rage. So they're like, we want a God to worship. So remember this as well. They're coming from Egypt where all that they would have known is idol worship. You know how idols work. There's a, a God behind the scenes and then there's like this little toy or, or like statue or something that represents that God because it's something tangible in their midst. It's something tangible for them to worship. So the people of Israel are like, we miss the tangible thing. Give us something tangible. So they're begging Aaron over and over again and finally he's like, fine. Give me all the jewelry on your bodies, everything that you have. Let's melt it into something really dope for us to worship. So Exodus 32 verse four, it says, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, the people, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Like this is the God who delivered us. Now remember, they... They wanted to actually glorify Yahweh. They knew that he was worship or he was worthy of their worship for their deliverance, but they wanted something tangible to worship. And it really frustrates God 
because God chose for himself an image. God chose for himself something to represent who he is to the rest of the world. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God's image is not inanimate. It's living and breathing. Here we are. The things that bear his inscription are the ones he chose to partner with him in this cosmic battle between darkness and light. He chose pictures who could hear his voice, follow him, and worship him. You are an image bearer. We are the image that he chose. So Jesus, when he said, give back to God what's God's, he's talking about people. Give the coins to the greedy oppressor. Follow the law of the land. Because God is way more interested in hearts. God is way more interested in people. This is one of the most valuable lessons as a leader, as a Christian. Don't hunger for power. Don't hunger for greed. Don't want for your face to be inscripted on a coin because that is a false sense of power. True power looks like the God who created the heavens and the earth becoming an incarnate baby, powerless in humility and meekness, subjected to all the sinful desires of mankind and put to death the death of a sinner and then resurrected from the dead in the power of the spirit. That's the power that Jesus gives us as his image. That's the power that lives in us. Do you believe it? Yeah. He's alive, living in power in his church today. This, it's true power. We don't have to hunger for the things of the world, looking for a false sense of security and power, hoping that people will follow us. Because the best thing, the most powerful thing that we can do is to lead in a way where people only see Jesus in us. And Jesus is never going to look like the abuse of power. Jesus is never going to look like the abuse of authority. Jesus is never going to look like the one who harms you to keep you from your flourishing. Jesus is never going to be an abusive sibling to you. He's never going to reflect the father's heart as being anything other than loving and a desire for you to flourish. It's who he is. And it's who he calls us to represent. So some of you might be wondering, like, how do you hear the voice of God, though? How do you distinguish between these voices? And actually, Bree and Evan, over the past few weeks, have, have talked about this. I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the teachings. But just some really, like, practical things from my experience. There are blatant ways to know that it's not God who is speaking to us. Because he will never contradict his word, right? So if we, like, we're praying and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just heard from God I'm supposed to go out and hurt somebody. That's it. Like, no, that's not, that's not him, right? Or like, hmm, yeah, we just did the giving liturgy, but I'm just hearing really clearly right now that I just need to hold on to everything I've got and not bless anybody. Like, not God, right? Or like, yeah, no, I, I heard really clearly that I'm supposed to go out and engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, the way that God, you know, said that it should be. I'm hearing it really clearly. It's fine. Don't worry about me. I'm good. You good? Like, that's not, that's not God's heart because that's not who he is in the word. It's not what he'll speak to our hearts now. But like, those are blatant ways, but there are some more subtle attacks from Satan that come in ways that are not as easy to identify in the moments, right? This is like James saying that sin takes place when we are enticed by our own desires. We have desires. And in reality, the voices that are antithetical to the voice of the Spirit, they draw and prey upon our own desires. So in moments when we feel that feeling, like that subtle urge to do something that we know deep down that we shouldn't, that's not a voice from God. It could be any, like, I'm not even going to list anything for you because you know what that looks like in your life. Only you know what your desires are. Only you know what the desires of your flesh are. I should clarify. The desires of your flesh. We have godly desires. We're new creations. But there are always these desires 
of our flesh lurking in the dark, just waiting to bring us down, to cause us to sin, to cause us to disconnect from God somehow. So what are those ways for you? What are those ways that, that the enemy is speaking to your heart in moments where you're like, oh, I shouldn't say this thing. I shouldn't do this thing. Because what's scary is eventually sometimes be, become so well acquainted with those other voices that we forget that they're wrong. So even here and now asking the spirit, will you speak to me so that I know your voice better than any of the others to be able to determine when something is not true? What does that look like for you? And then I'd say that the voice of the spirit is the exact opposite of that. When you feel that urge to do something that's maybe uncommon for you, like you're in the grocery store and you're just like, oh my gosh, I need to pray over this person right now. I don't know them. They're going to think that I'm nuts, like whatever. Like you step out and do it because it's the voice of the spirit and that person is going to be blessed. Or you feel this like uncommon sense of generosity. You're like, I just need to bless this person. Like I don't have a lot, but I just need to step out and do this. And it ends up being exactly what they need. Or you're crazy enough to leave everything with your family of eight and go to the UK to just see what happens, you know? Like uncommon things where you're like, this is the spirit and I don't have answers and I can only defend it so much because I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know that the spirit is drawing us and that's enough to say yes, right? So listen to the voice of the spirit. The spirit speaks in ways which continue to shape our lives according to the way of Jesus. That's how you know it's him. If you look more like Jesus because of it, then it's a work of the Spirit in you and his voice is speaking. I want to clarify too, when I say that we have listened to voices that are not of God, I'm not saying that we are far from him. I've learned as a father that there are many lies that can be spoken over children. And when you see them affected by those voices, I have no desire to be distant from them, but to be closer than ever affirming truth over them. No, this is who you are. This is who God says you are. It doesn't matter that this person said this because who does God say that you are? And if I feel that as a sinful man, how much more our heavenly father wanting to be close to you in those times when you've listened to lies? The voice of our good shepherd leads us to more of his presence, more of his goodness and mercy. He's not the voice of condemnation. He's the one who wants us to experience repentance and freedom. He's not the accuser. He's the redeemer. So going back to my grandma's coin collection, they told me, the experts, that they were worth nothing. But to me, they're invaluable. They, they hold so much memory and like it all becomes meaningful because of who they belong to. It doesn't matter what people say they're worth. It matters that they belong to someone that I cherished. So I cherish them. See, our belonging shapes the way that we listen. Since we belong to God like children to a father, we should listen with that same level of affection, intentionality, and honor towards him. And I understand for sure that it can seem like an impossibility when our listening has become tarnished by others, especially leaders in the church. But this is why community is so important. In healthy settings, the community of Jesus helps to reparent us as they show us the heart of our loving Father. And that's what's happened in our story. The death of Jesus, he proves God's love for humanity. He redeems, calling sinners to repent and come to him. With his love, he also gets angry when hateful and hurtful things happen to his children. When asked by the Pharisees again what the most important commandment was, Jesus quoted the Shema. In Mark 12, verse 29, 
It says, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then he adds this. To clarify the intention of the law all along. Jesus makes it so clear for them. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. If we don't love others well, we're not listening well. I want to take the moment to say if you have been hurt by spiritual leaders in your life, I'm so sorry. From the bottom of my heart, that is not God's design for leadership. It's a blatant distortion of what it means to shepherd people, and it makes God's heart angry. Two years ago, I was at my cohort. I was with my cohort for seminary um, with Bree Golden. This is why it's so special that she gets to introduce me and stuff. She's a really, really dear friend. Uh, and during that time, I was experiencing the culmination of all of the trauma that I've experienced in my life. I was secretly dealing with the worst depression of my life, secretly figuring out ways that I could not be alive anymore, not telling people. And I show up to cohort, to seminary, to learn more about the Bible and the way of God. And it just happened to be a time of soul care, a time of healing prayer. So I broke up into a group with Bree and our friend David. And Bree led me in prayer. And to be honest with you, I walked in that day just desperate to feel something from God. I felt so dry and disconnected. I felt like there's no way that God can actually love me. I thoroughly enjoy telling other people how loved they are by God. But the reality is I did not believe it for myself. Isn't that wild? Pastoring for 10 years, telling people this message that I did not know how to receive. So we started praying. She's leading me in prayer. And it took a long time, a lot of tears, a lot of spiritual warfare. But God broke through in such an important way, in a moment where I questioned, where were you in all those times that I was hurt? He came in and he took me back to the moment when I was four years old. And what he shared with me was that he told me first that I was supposed to be a pastor because he knew that if I heard it by leaders that would hurt me, that I would not be doing it today. And then he showed me how he was present in each of those situations where I had been hurt. He showed me that he was closer than I knew, that he was weeping with me, that his heart was breaking, that he was angry that it was happening. And since then, like literally miraculous, coming out of that time of prayer, I am more confident than ever that I'm supposed to pastor with my wife. I'm more confident than ever that Christ really loves his church. And now I understand that it's not ever my place to give up on the church, but to actually continue to build it up in any way that Jesus invites me to. So in the past two years, I've learned that the voice of God stands beyond the lies that I've been living, that I had been living for 27 years. So we'll bring up this list of lies again with truth. I had been living this lie. My life is marked by a level of shame I can't do anything to erase or fix. And the truth is, my life is marked by the creator God who saved me from my sin and the shame caused by sin done to me. He adopted me into his family and has given me the power and comfort of the spirit. Second lie, I'm not worth defending or protecting. But the truth is, my life has been hidden with Christ and God and Jesus is my ultimate defender. His death on the cross proves the lengths he was willing to go to defend my life and to deal with sin. Lie, the church and their leadership are not safe for me. The truth, 
Christ has invited me to join him in loving his church, in loving his bride. The voice of God has broken through the lies and helped me to distinguish his voice from the others. And I want to invite you to allow his voice to do the same for you today. Invite the spirit to dismantle the lies which have been placed on you so that you can see his reality for your life. As we come to a close, I, I want to share a story with you quickly. My, my son, Elijah, he's 13, and he's been dealing with really heavy spiritual warfare for a lot of years that have affected his personalities um, and led to outbursts of wrath and, and things like just anger that, that are just not common, that are not the way of Christ for him, but we just felt really stuck. So a couple of weeks ago, um, one of my mentors and friends, Dr. Gary Bashirs, met with Elijah for a time of, of prayer. And um, during that time, Elijah began to see things in the spirit about his own heart, hidden things that he didn't know were there. And right after that, he was changed in a miraculous way. He, ever since, has been starting his morning with his little rule of life. He's walking around doing a prayer walk. He's reading the scriptures. He's doing a time of silence and solitude. He's doing something called Visio Divina, and he's journaling about it. And every day, he's coming in sharing with me the things that he's hearing from God. And day one, He comes in and he says, you know, God showed me that there was a wall between his voice and me, and it's gone, and I'm hearing him so clearly. And it's been like, it's been reinvigorating for my life with the Spirit to see my son practicing this so well. To be really transparent, even a couple of days ago, there was a moment where something happened that that would have really caused him frustration, and I was more frustrated by it. And I had to repent to him. Like, I'm sorry that I was frustrated and you handled it better than me because he's spending time in the secret place like Bree talked about, even more than I am some days. God speaks. He wants to speak to you. He has things to say to you. And sometimes they might not seem significant to you, but they are infinitely significant for the purpose of your life and for the benefit of others. Step out in those moments. If you're supposed to speak a word over someone that you didn't premeditate at all, like step out and do it. Don't worry about looking dumb. Convey the heart of the Father well and you'll never regret it. Sometimes you don't know how meaningful a simple smile, hug, or prayer can be for people who have experienced harm in the church. For them to hear the true voice of God through a loving community can mean more than you know. So in this series, we've heard a lot about great primary ways to hear the voice of God, right? Like the scriptures and prayer, the secret place and community. But I thought that it would be fun as I go, kind of just like an imparted gift for some of you, um, it would be fun to practice Visio Divina together. How many of you have heard of Visio Divina? Yeah, a few of you, not a lot of you, which is amazing. We are surrounded by beauty in San Diego. Like you can't even escape it. Like the picture I'm going to show you is of the beach. And I'm sure some of y'all do like walks in the morning and stuff because you want to stay in shape and and all of that and like probably don't even take the moment to like glorify God for the beauty of what you're seeing. That was my life for the past few years, just like living in beauty. Um, But this is really an opportunity to pause, to look at art, to look at beauty and to ask the spirit of God, what do you want to say to me through this? What can I glean from your heart in this? Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Really what he's saying is that even in creation, we learn something about who God is. This means sometimes that we hear the voice of God even by what we see. And we're going to look at this picture. And what's going to happen is we're we're going to look at it. And I want you to just wherever your attention is drawn first, 
It could be the corner of the picture. It could be one bird. It could be something about it that just draws your attention. You're going to look at that. You're going to stay there. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to pray and ask the spirit, why was I drawn to this? What are you doing in my heart? What do you want to speak to me? And then you're going to journal about it. You can take out your phone. If you have pen and paper, you're just going to write a little bit. It could be a minute. It could be a couple minutes. We're just going to see what the spirit wants to do today. I know that this is like a new thing for you. You're probably like, this is weird or whatever, but I really want to challenge you through the things that you heard in this teaching. I know because Christ loves his bride, that there's something that he wants to speak to your heart. I know that there's something that the spirit wants to impart to you today because our father is a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to give more of the spirit when we ask. So come Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at this picture. Yeah, just focus on whatever that thing is that first drew your attention. Close your eyes, maybe, maybe lift your palms facing up and just receive from the Spirit. What do you want to speak to me, Holy Spirit? You can open your eyes and look at it again. And I want to encourage you, if you're able to make note of what God is speaking to you, do it. Take the next minute or so to, to write down what it is that God is speaking. today's teaching may not be easy for some of you who have experienced painful things. Not just by church leadership, but by family members, by trusted voices who have broken you down instead of building you up in your process of flourishing in Christ. I'm aware that even some of the things that the Spirit is speaking to your heart maybe unearthing some things in this moment. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song together. But as we do, we're going to have pastors and, and the prayer team on the sides available to receive you for prayer today. And if I could just plead with you, don't waste this opportunity to be in community and to have the Father's heart conveyed over you. Don't waste it. God wants to speak to you. <laughs> 